go. Welcome everyone to Over and Back. I am joined by Marshfield Boys head basketball coach Chris Fisher. Chris, welcome. I appreciate it. I'm I'm uh, I'm happy to have you on. This is um, I guess we I went out of the territory FBA territory with Siebert a little bit, but I kind of knew Siebert through Kellett. You and I really don't know each other, so we'll see how we'll see how yeah, else it goes. Not a whole lot. One um, one meeting in Kakana is about it. Yeah, we met each other in the summer just because. Well, I mean, people probably know the story a little bit. But I had asked on Twitter, any coaches yeah. want to come on? Come on, and you were, I think you were you were Siebert. One of you guys, like within a day of each other, both said, "Love to come on." Yeah, I'm happy to do it. I love talk talking hoops. Yeah, um, and I'm happy to have you. I don't people think I'm like this FEA snob. I have friends that call me FEA snob, and I'm like, you are. Maybe a little bit, yeah. um, but it's, I like, I love, like you, I love talking basketball regardless of who it is. So yeah, we had met in at the WBY tournament yep. um, when I was there watching you, you were coaching. So let's start as I have with, hang on, let me get these dogs out of here. Um, let's start with, um, as we always do, well, you give, give me your background. You're uh, I guess playing through coaching, how you got to where you are now. I'm a, uh, I'm a Marshall graduate. So um, being the head coach at, your alma mater always means it means just a little bit more um, than it would otherwise playing career um, wasn't wasn't uh, nothing special basketball wise I I had a little more success playing football and and baseball in high school Uh, my junior year we got to the state championship in both football and baseball football we got beat by a really good homestead team with their running back you know we couldn't really stop their running back and I think he went up going to play at Minnesota uh, our baseball team got to the state championship and we got no hit by Fond du Lac. Um, was a bad, bad game for us. We had been playing really well. Travis Diener actually led off and played right field in that state championship game. So um, but shortly after that, I, my coaching career started on the football staff at Marshfield. Uh, Len Lutke, who is a legendary coach in our community and a legendary coach around the state, just recently got inducted into the National Football High School Coaches um, Hall of Fame. He gave me my start in coaching. Was fortunate to to be able to do that. My start in coaching in the football, we got to, we were right in a stretch of, of getting to five state championship games in eight years. So I was pretty pretty blessed to be pretty fortunate to be on that staff. He taught me a lot about how to run a program, how you allow your assistant coaches to to do their job and put your trust in them and and he was a true leader of young men. So I was very fortunate to be a part of his staff. The basketball coaching career started shortly after that, about 2010 started coaching at Marshfield was their JV coach for a couple of years. Uh, my teaching position got cut. So I moved just down the road up North highway 97 to Stratford. I coached in the Stratford program for four years with coach Kurt Schmidt, Corey Heckle, the old Everest coach came on board Uh, towards the end of my tenure there. But a lot of my basketball coaching philosophies were developed around that time, specifically working with coach Bill Knetter, who was Stratford's JV coach. Bill Knetter was Marathon's girl coach for years. Um, Went to state, took him to state for a lot. He's in the Hall of Fame. And learning the the simplicities of how to run a practice from coach Knetter. The guy has won a ton of games at almost at every level. Um, he taught me a lot about how to conduct a practice and the daily workings and how you start with longer practices. Then as you get deeper into the year, make them shorter because everything they should know by now and just keep doing repetition after repetition. About 2017 and 18, I was asked to come back on the Marshfield staff and I was 
Scott Scheuer's assistant for three years. And then um, when he decided to step away, I, I got the head coaching job right in the middle of COVID. And um, that was a unique and interesting start for us. But we're moving into year four now. Um, we've got the same staff that we've had for the last four years. And um, we're excited. We're excited with where our program's at right now. Um, and your so your brother is, and I didn't know this, your brother coaches at, Osh, at UW Oshkosh, right? Yeah. Yeah, my older brother Brad has been the the women's coach at UW Oshkosh for the last uh, minimum of a decade. He might be going to year 11 or 12. I don't know which one it is. And he's had tremendous success there with that UW women's program. Um, They're pretty much winning 20 games a year, fighting for a conference championship. Along with that, I've I've gotten to uh, use Coach Lewis and the men's program as, as a really good, valuable resource for us. So a lot of what we do at Marshfield, we try to um, you know, is borrowed and stolen from the Oshkosh programs because if you want efficiency in your offense, look no further than the Oshkosh programs, the, both the men and the women, tremendously efficient offensively. Um, I saw your brother was a little heated on Twitter the other day. Did you see that or no? Well, no, no. Usually when he gets tweeted on, heated on Twitter, it's either about the Bucks, yeah, or somebody says something derogatory about women's basketball. Yeah, it was, uh, I, it's weird because I, I think I follow him, but like, I don't have notifications on for him, but like, I have like five, I have like five Twitter accounts because I have like a personal one. I have yep. my intentional one. I had one for like a, an older AU program with, for my, for Jameson, my oldest. And it popped up and it was like first take and Windhorse were talking about the Giannis. Yes. And yes. he just, he quote retweeted and it was like all mad about yes. us. He went nuclear on that. And I'm, I'm with him. You know, it was an opportunity for, for the national media to, to praise a guy who, who's been loyal to the, to yeah. the franchise that drafted him and has chosen to stick around. But instead they're, they're looking, they're, they're trying to place him in a bigger media market franchise, like the sure. Miami's or the Los Angeles is. And, um, that gets tired after a while. So I, I did happen to see that from him. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, what do you, what year did you graduate high school? I was a 2001 grad. Okay. How much older is your brother than you? He was a 98 grad, so he's two, two and a half, three years older than I was. Okay. Got it. Any other siblings at all or no? Nope. Nope. Just us two boys. Um, all right. Let's talk about again. We we I sent you the agenda. We will we'll bounce around. Yeah, sure. We're just I was looking at your team. You're I don't know. Is it updated because it's not updated from with sports or what? You've got like six guys in your roster, it says. Yeah. Well, I mean, the last the last two years we've been senior heavy on our roster. Two years ago, we graduated eight seniors. This last year, we also graduated eight seniors. Wow. So um, we're, we, we're going to have some talented players, but a lot of them are lacking the varsity experience. Sure. I mean, you've got, well, Hinson is a junior. I For some reason, I was thinking he was a senior, and then I looked, I think yesterday, I'm like, God, that's right. He's a freaking junior, which is junior, crazy. Yeah. And then um, you got Chris, Chris Pohl, who's a sophomore. Both guys are like top 10 kids in the state in their yeah. class. Um, Boogie, you know, I call Brooks Boogie, but, uh, he, uh, I remember the first time I watched him play as an eighth grader. Um, he's the youngest of four Henson boys and all yeah. of them have come through our program. Yep. Uh, Alec, then Sam, and then Chase graduated a couple of years ago. Um, so I think, you know, they did their job in beating up on their little brother because he was mature beyond his years. And as an eighth grader, the first time I saw him, I knew of his offensive skill because he would come through our camps all the time. 
you could tell he shot it well. He could handle it. The question that I had was him defensively. Could, would he be able to guard on the defensive end as a freshman? Um, watching him as an eighth grader, you know, he was he was head and shoulders above everybody talent-wise at that level. The first time I pulled the trigger putting him into our starting lineup was that summer between his eighth grade and freshman year. I think it was a tournament in Medford. Um, I don't remember who he played, but I do remember us getting up 32 to five. And there was just something that we saw in, in putting Brooks in that spot. The kid can guard, the kid can shoot it. He can defend. Um, He's a really, really talented player and whatever intangibles you want to throw, he's got every one of them. He's got the moxie. He's got the poise. He's got the killer instinct. He wants the ball in his hand at the end of the game. Um, really excited about Brooks. Um, the other one you mentioned, Chris Pohl. We didn't get a chance to look at him because he had an injury between his eighth grade and freshman year. So he didn't play any summer ball with us as a freshman. So we couldn't, we didn't have the full evaluation of him. I think it took probably about four games of him being on our JV team to realize that he's one of the best that we've got in our program. And he was really good for us the last two months of the year. And he had a really good summer. He had a really good spring playing him and Brooks playing the same AAU team. Yep. They had a really good AAU season this spring and they had a really good summer and we're excited about both of them. Yeah. I, um, being the FAA snob, I am, I, I do actually, aside from that, I do actually look at other plays. I correct me. I can't remember the time of this game. You guys played, you played Kakana, yeah, Kakana, yep, in the twenty one twenty two season. Correct. Was that what? What time of year was that? Was that? That really like was that was the uh, their shootout, their Baird Gustman shootout. So that would have been mid December. Yeah. Okay. So early mid December. Yep. Okay. I remember I went there to watch. Well, you guys played Kakana, so I went there to watch, and I was just watching yep. basketball, whatever. And I remember with other was my buddy, and I'm like, "Is that so? That's the that's the senior, right?" And we're like. Nope. That's the freshman. That's the freshman. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like I, ever since I game, I watch, and you guys beat Kakana. Um, ever since I watch, I'm like, I love, I've loved, I've loved Hinson. I've always, whenever I get a chance to watch you guys, I'm like, I'm going to watch Brooks. I'm watching him. Cause he's, he is, he's one of those kids that I just, I'd like to latch on to just to, to watch because he's it's to see someone that young who's so developed already. It's, it's so much fun to watch. It's yeah. awesome. The, the skills and the poise and, and, He's had that from early on. And again, I'll go back to him being the youngest of four pretty good players for us. Um, you know, all three of his older brothers got some honorable mention or some all conference recognition as they came through. Um, you know, but Brooks, he's going to have to take on a different role this year. You know, as a freshman, he just, he wasn't our primary ball handler. He handled it when we needed him to, but he could kind of just, he was our floor spacer, right? He could just kind of, stand in the corner and, and shoot. Yep. Last year, we still had a pretty good couple players along with him. His role kind of increased a little bit, more of a ball handler, more of an attacker. But this year, now he's going to be at the top of everybody's scouting report for yep. probably the first time in his career. He plays on a really good AAU team um, where everybody's good and you got to guard everybody. But yep. Brooks Henson is going to be at the top of our scouting report. So, um, you know, he he's taking on a different role. Yeah. And Chris, I, I saw Chris when I watched you guys over the summer. I'm like, who the hell is this kid now? I'm like, I got to find out who this kid is now. So yeah, he, he looked really good too. I'm, I'm excited to watch you guys. Right. I noticed I saw you guys right at Appleton East end of November. 
Yeah, it's our first game. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a Tuesday the 28th. And um, Appleton East has had our number the last couple of years. Um, we did not match up well with them last year. They they kind of handled us and pushed us around a little bit. Even two years ago, two years ago, they had that really good team with with Borowski and and um, obviously Glazer and Keel and, and La Chapelle's back. Um, La Chapelle's as good of a point guard as you're going to find in the state. I mean, that, kid, yep, that kid's a player. Yep. Um, you know, going into last year, we knew about Glazier and, and Keel and La Chapelle. Uh, the guy that got us in that first game was Preston Giacomo. Oh, yeah. Shots and, yep. So we're going to have our hands full right off the bat, but it'll be a good test for us. Yeah. I'll, uh, I graduated from Appleton East. So I will, uh, I will be there watching, hopefully. Sure. Um, I guess good segue. I've asked, other coaches this i'm just curious on how you handle your i haven't looked at your non-conference schedule but how do you handle who is your non-conference schedule this year and what do you how do you kind of go into um um scheduling those well i I think the philosophy that we've had on scheduling non-conference opponents kind of goes back to when we kind of turned the corner as a program around the 2010 time um we try to schedule as many teams in our sectional as we can mm-hmm. out of the big rivers and, and being centrally located helps us where we can play with a lot of the big river schools. And we're trying to get more Fox Valley schools. Um, I'm going to try to remember our non-conference schedule right off the bat here. I'm looking right now too. Yeah. If we start in the big rivers, we've got Hudson, we've got Eau Claire Memorial, we've got Chippewa Falls, we've got Eau Claire North. Yeah. Fox Valley teams we're playing Appleton East and we're playing Nina. Uh, yep. Oh, I didn't see Nina. Yeah, I see Nina now. I didn't um, know. Nina. Okay. And then if we we're trying to expand, we always play Lacrosse Central. Yep. And then in in the Majera Shootout, we're playing Ashwaubenon in Alaska. Yep. And we also have a non-conference game scheduled against Brookfield Central this year. Yep. Okay, I see. Got that. to know Coach Wandry a little bit a few years ago, coaching with him in the All Star game. We try to be really diverse and we try to find the best teams possible. Um, yeah. You're not ducking anyone. That's for sure. No. And, and um, it's one thing to try to schedule these games, but we take it as a compliment and a, a little bit of prestige that these teams are actually wanting to play us too. Yeah. Um, you know, we're excited about playing Brookfield central. They've got a couple of D one prospects. We're excited about playing on Alaska a team that, you know, we normally don't match up against Ashwaubenon. Um, you know, Nina's always really good. A couple of years removed from a state championship to, you know, state appearances in a row. Appletonese produces collegiate level athletes all the time. Yeah. Uh, we, we try to challenge ourselves as much as possible. Um, and we're going to continue to do that as long as I'm here. Um, I, I, high expectations I'm assuming this year, right? You guys have always played. I mean, we, so when I say we had Kimberly, cause my oldest son played Jameson played obviously on the 22 team. So we beat you guys. I I was gonna look at this. Was it was that the four or five matchup? I can't remember. It was in the regional final in twenty twenty two. Yeah. Was, <laughs> Let's. Uh, were you yeah. surprised that you got the four over Kimberly or no? No. Okay. Um, I was proud. I was proud of our body of work. Um, you know it that twenty twenty two team that was formed. So the previous year was my first year as head coach in the middle of COVID. And we went two and 18 and it seemed like every decision that we made as a program was the wrong one, or it just didn't work out for us. We had lost the last 13 games of that season because it was COVID. There was a delay in the start of the spring sports season. Like there was a six week dead yeah. period. 
And I talked about with our athletic director said, Hey, listen, you know, we just spent the last two or three months getting our guys back in athletics. Can I just keep going practice wise until the state tournament? He said, absolutely. So we spent the last, we said goodbye to our seniors, kids that had to deal with a bunch of BDS that wasn't their fault. Um, And I always, I think about that, that group and how I wish things could turn out differently. But once we said goodbye to them, we got ourselves into the gym for the next two weeks and we started to build the foundations of that team. But then we start off the next year losing our first three games at Eau Claire Memorial, um, at Appleton East, and home against Lacrosse Central. We start the year 0 3. So we had lost 16 games in a row. And that, the Kakana game that you mentioned, was our first win. Oh, wow. In, in almost a calendar year. Wow, I didn't know that. And that okay. kind of turned, we found something in that game that kind of turned the switch for our program. We rattled off, I think, eight wins in a row. We got beat at Madison Memorial by three. And then we ripped off 10 in a row. Okay. And got, you know, until we played Kimberly in that regional final. So I was really proud of our body of work. I think we were 18 and four at that seating meeting. Okay. And had a lot of wins against sectional teams, conference championship. I felt good. I thought we, you know, I thought we deserved that for. Yeah. And I think at that point, we probably, Kimberly probably had seven, seven losses. They're all amazing. Probably, yeah. Right. I mean, they get, they get beat up within their conference. Um, That was the first time I ever walked. I remember I walked, we played, so Kimberly played at Marshfield. I remember walking that gym and I'm like, what in the hell is this thing? That, <laughs> I mean, it's a really, really weird setup. It is. That, that field house was built, I think in the 1960s for the for the direct purpose of hosting high school sectional final games. Okay. You know, we can fill 3 to 4,000 people in that. And when that place is filled, I don't think there's a better place in the state. It's the just problem so is when you when you're playing a conference home game on a Tuesday night. Yeah. It's it's a different story. Yeah. Well, it's just so weird. There's like just so much space in between on that right when you walk in on the right side, there's like Correct. It's like 50 yards. It's not 50 yards, but it's like a huge chunk of space. And then you have your bleachers and you're like, I'm so far away from this game right now. It's about, it's about 25 feet from the edge of the bleachers to the sideline of, of our main court. I like it as a coach because you never have to worry about any spectator traffic, right? Oh yeah. Some of these gyms you go in and and people walk in front of the scoreboard. They walk in front of your bench to get, you know, they're late to the game and they got to walk in front. I like it for that purpose. I don't like it um, because we really don't have a home court advantage in terms of a crowd. There's been a couple of times where we've gotten a really nice turnout and the crowd was really loud and juiced up. Um, But it can be difficult to do that. Do you like, so your student section is behind your bench, right? It is. Do you like that or do you like that or no? Does, um, I guess I never really thought about it. It doesn't, I think our, I think our players like it because they can kind of turn around and, and get everybody fired up immediately. We've never really had a, a noise issue where we had to worry about a communication type of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about various different arrangements, you know, maybe having some portable bleachers on one side and get them a little closer to the floor and, and having a more of a student presence there. Um, we've had those discussions, but I'm okay with it. I I never I it just popped on my head. I've never I've just thought about it cuz like Kimberly has their student sections are on the side on the baselines underneath the basket. Yeah. Yeah, underneath the baskets. I mean, when I grew up at Appleton East, we always had, had huge crowds. We were always across right the bench so you're yelling at the teams, you know, essentially right. the teams. 
I it just popped in my head just because we were talking about the size and the noise yeah. and stuff like that. So I'm, I, I'm, it's curious now that I think about it. I wonder if coaches have preferences of which they'd rather. I don't know. No. Okay. Um, just because I put on the agenda. So, okay. So Kimberly beats Marshfield. Any, any memories or thoughts of that game? Yeah. Really, well, really good game. It was a very good game. We felt, we felt really good about ourselves going into that game. Um, like I said, we were on a, a pretty significant winning streak and that group was so connected and played so well together. They had really figured out who each of who who they each were as individuals and how that how we needed to attack and defend. You know, that that first half was as good offensively as we played all year. Um I did have to look up some stats. You know, first half we shot 60% from the floor. Uh, I think we were 7 for 11 or 6 for 11 from 3. Like we just had things clicking. We had yeah. attacks we had back cuts, um, and Kimberly, on the other hand, didn't shoot it well. Uh, I think they were maybe two for ten from three, shot it at about thirty-five percent, and we felt good going into halftime. There was one play in that game. You know, there's 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 moments you can go back to as a coach where if you would put yourself in that position again, like you can remember your thought process. We had gotten up by nine. I think it was 40, it was like 40, 46, 37, somewhere in there. Um, I think Seth Myron had just knocked down his first three of the game or second three in a row from the corner. We had come down and and Luke Lemoyne, who was a junior at that time, senior for us last year, had gotten an and one, really good slasher. So it's 47, 40, somewhere in there. And Luke's shooting a free throw for a three-point play. He misses it. The ball comes long right in front of our bench, and Luke grabs it again. And I'm thinking, my I, I can I can see this developing as it's happening. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, I should pull the trigger on a timeout here because I knowing Luke, he had just gotten two attacks in a row for layups. He's going to attack again. Yeah. And sure enough, right as I'm about to call a timeout or it crosses my mind, he attacks and turns it over, and then tr- immediately transition. And I think it might have been your son that banged in a three. Okay or they, somebody, and all of a sudden it was 46, 43 or 47, 43. And then I called the timeout. And at that point I was so mad at myself. I kind of let it out on my team a little bit and probably, probably not the best decision because their body language kind of dropped a little bit and they, we just lost a little bit there. And before we know it, it's tied at 47 and now we're down five. Um, We had gotten back. I think we tied it. I think Brooks hit a three to tie it at 52, but we just couldn't make shots down the stretch. Um, I, I'm I'm confident that we, I don't want to say we were the better team, but we were just as good. But the the difference in that game was Pavletsky. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, did he have 32 or 34 points? I think he, he got to the line maybe 22 times. I think he shot... 22 free throws, most of them in the second half. Um, you know, they were 19 for 25 on free throws and we were four for eight. They they just kept attacking, attacking, attacking. And we didn't, I didn't make the switch on ball screen coverage uh, soon enough. We kept following them and putting them to the line and and we couldn't, we just stopped making shots. Yeah. Um, I think about that game often. It does. I mean, it doesn't live rent free in my head, but I think about that game a lot because of what transpired immediately after that. Sure. The game against Nita that 
that the Emory kid banged in a three at the buzzer, right? Where, where I'm on my, on my son. Yes. On Jameson. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, it that was, does live in my head rent free that I, I have nightmares about that game still. I'm not even lying. And, and if you look at that and then Nina goes on to win the state tournament. So, you know, if, if you, you play that comparison game, right? Like we were pretty even with Kimberly and then Kimberly appeared to be pretty even with the eventual state champion. Um, yep. You know, we, that's certainly an opportunity that, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't come through on. Another thing, you know, we would have loved to have seen how we matched up with Nina the previous year, Nina, they could have picked the number at whatever they wanted to beat us by. They could have picked it. Like they, we played at their place and they beat us by, they beat us like a drum. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't close from the get go. Our guys competed, but Nina was so good. They, I think they ended up beating us by 35 or 40. Okay. And then, you know, just to see where we were at in terms of a program, it would have been nice to match up with them. Um, but we didn't take advantage of that. Yeah. I think about to go back to that Nina shot. I think like nine times out of 10, that shot probably doesn't go in. Right. Probably. It was, you know, I mean, Emery's a good player, probably. but like nine, and He's I'm very like, good that's it. Like nine times out of 10, that doesn't go in. The, and we're, the degree we're of difficulty on. on that shot from the corner makes it nine out of 10. Yeah. I, I seriously, do, I still, it still haunts me. I still get, I still get anxiety and, and just I mad. Believe it. It. I believe it. Um, is Pavletsky's probably one of the hardest players you've had to prepare for. I'm assuming he was, yeah. what's, what's that like? Like, what do you, do you have a, are you the coach that's like, you know what, we're going to let him get whatever he wants or are you like, we're going to stop him and let the other guys. So, or, so what made that, what made that a little more difficult is we didn't have, you know, we had, less than 24 hours to prep for that. Cause that right. was, a, that was a Saturday after. Um, however, our, I'm fortunate to have the assistant coaches that I had, they, they were on the scout for that game and they had a great plan. And, and I can remember, I remember uh, us having the shoot around that Saturday morning talking about how we were going to guard him. If you look at that game, I think he only, I think he only attempted one, three. Uh, the the original design was to get him off the three point line because he was a really good shooter and we felt confident um, that we would be able to rotate and help enough, um, but we just wanted to get him off the three point line. Yeah, and clearly that was the wrong decision because he goes sixteen for twenty two or eighteen, however many free throws he made. Yeah. Um, you know we just get we just kept following him and I didn't pull a trigger soon enough to to turn him into a shooter. Now, chances are he might have, you know, he might have knocked down some threes after that, but you never want to leave a game like that without showing your entire hand. Um, and that's the one regret I have. But certainly he was a difficult guard. Yeah. Um, Marcus Hall, probably another one that is a pain. Yes. Um, what made Marcus so good was he was, he could score it in so many different ways. Um, he was such a really good shooter. Um, his sophomore and junior year, and then as he developed and got bigger and stronger, he became a better attacker off the dribble. He became a better back to the basket scorer. You know, we played him seven times in three years. Uh, and the last, you know, when Marcus was a sophomore, his older brother Colton was a really good player. Um, and then when Marcus became a junior, his older brother Colton had suffered a knee injury where he was gone. So Marcus became the focal point. So we played him five times as a, as a junior and senior, and we tried to throw something different at him every time we played him, whether it be a smaller defender or a double team 
or pushing him a direction. We try to guard him differently um, to some success, varying degrees of success, but he was a really tough guard. I've never, I never got to see him too much in high school. Um, saw him one second this summer, you know, before his senior year, but our, my unintentional team at Holy Cross played against him at the opening night of that ter- the men's tournament in March. Yeah. And I'm like, this kid is really, really good. Like I'm, I think he's going to be amazing at GB. I, I think he's going to play a bunch this year. And I think he's going to be really, really good. I hope so too. He he's, he's got, he's got a lot. He's got a lot of skill. He can do almost everything offensively. One of the more unselfish kids, too, in terms of a kid that could score 30 if he wanted to, but he understood the value of getting everybody involved. Um, I think he's got the right mindset to play at a high level as well. He's a great kid. I, I went to the my uncle. Really good kid. I went to the um my uncle took me to the GB basketball golf outing in the summer. So all the players were there and you get to meet him. And I I had met Marcus when we played him in Holy Cross, and I just, you know, went back up and introduced myself again and He'll just talk to you forever. Like such a very good, nice kid. That he's one of those kids. Like he's not an FEA kid. I'm rooting for him. I love the kid. I think he's. I, I am too. You know, I, I, I have a little old school tendency in that. I don't necessarily seek out coaches or players that we play against all the time. I, I, I don't want to see it. I view them as enemies, but I just, you know, I, I, I have that old school mentality of, oh, you know, he's from Everest. I don't, I don't want to converse with him. You know, let's stay within our group. But, you know, sometimes you just see some things that you're like, you know what, that's a really nice kid. And I, I, I saw that in Marcus and a couple of times we did converse, he, you know, he was incredibly respectful. And like you said, we'll talk to you for a while. You know, we appreciate it was, we appreciate competing against high level players and he's certainly at the top of the list. Yeah. Um, just, I just want to make sure we have, a, do we have a cutoff time by the way? I'm uh, probably that. noon. Okay. All right. For that's anyone who's listening, we're doing, we're doing this at 11 a.m. On, on Thursday I told, I told someone I play basketball against, he's like, don't you normally have a cocktail when you're doing those podcasts? And I'm like, <laughs> might not be able to today. I'm not working today. I could, but I'm not. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I just, I want to make sure we get to enough stuff. Let's sure. just go, let's go quick to last year. What, what did you guys finish last year in your record? I can't remember. You we were 18 and seven. 18 and seven. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong. You guys lost to Appleton North in the playoffs. Appleton North first game of playoffs. Yep. At your place. At our place. Okay. Yeah. Any thoughts from that game? Yeah. Um, ironically, ironically, Kellett's on the podcast. Sure. You're, you're uh, all three Chris's, by the way, all three guys, yeah. Chris, but um, I, so I think it's probably usually about January for me when I start looking at teams within the se- sectional, just kind of at a glance, you try to extrapolate and plan out how the rest of the year is going and try to figure out who's going to get matched up with each other. And Appleton North start off really slow. But you started them. You started to see them come on uh, around January, like they had some really good wins January and February. Like they're beating Fond du Lac on the road, they're beating Kimberly on the road, um, and you knew they were going to be a tough matchup. Um, we had felt really good about our body of work again. I had thought that we were going to get the four seed again based on what happened last year. I thought we were in a really similar spot. Um, and I thought the Fox Valley had beaten each other up enough where their top tier teams were going to get knocked down based purely on wins. I thought, you know, you, you try to do it yourself. If I remember correctly, I think we had the most wins out of teams within the sectional of anybody in our sectional. And I know that's one of the criteria. So I had thought we were going to get the four seed. Um, 
but we don't, we get the five and now we got to play up to North and they, they, I don't want to say they scared me, but they, I, they, they had our attention immediately. Uh, just their ability to shoot it. Yep. Pretty much spots one through five and guys coming off the bench. Yep. And they had a stretch early in that first half where I think they banged in four threes, four straight possessions. Uh, they started off with a miss, but I think Hardy got the offensive rebound and banged in a three. Then he came down and hit a pull up. Then um, I think the Sweeney kid hit one from the corner. Then I think Ramos hit one and it was just four threes and four straight possessions got us down by about nine or 10. And then from then on, it was just a battle. We had cut it to three and had our momentum and we got a little bit confused in a ball screen action. And I don't remember who it was. I don't think it was Sweeney. Somebody banked in a three from the left wing with about four minutes left to go from three to six. And that kind of took the wind out of our sails. Um, but um, again, I felt really good going into that because I knew the sectional was wide open. Yeah, um, We could have just as easily gone on to a sectional final, maybe beyond as we could have losing that first game, which is sure. what happened. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, Nina as the six seed winning, winning our sectional, you know, teams kind of, or teams outside of that sectional kind of ripped on that. I don't think it shows weakness. Yeah, you did. No. <laughs> you were one of, I don't think it, I don't think it shows weakness. I just thought it showed depth. Like if you look at all the teams, there's, there's collegiate athletes on every roster, Oakland Memorial, the one seed. Yeah. They lose that first round game, but they had collegiate athletes. Sure. Um, Hudson was the two seed. They won that big rubber. They got good athletes. Oshkosh North, I think, was the three, right? Uh, Hortonville. Hortonville. Think, Hortonville was the four because that's who Appleton North played next. Like, there, I just, it was, it was a really deep sectional, maybe not top heavy, but it was really deep. Um, yeah, I was, when I ripped on it, it was always just based on, based on rankings of top 10 teams in the state that they were all like in Certainly. two sectionals. You know, that was kind of the thing. Right. Um, all right. Well, let's segue into the, as it's currently playing out a disaster of a computer system for football, it seems. Um, give me your thoughts on the computer system for basketball, as I've asked all the coaches before, too. I think I think there needs to be some type of compromise between a computer seating and an in-person in-person coach's seating. I think about I'm trying to think of what year it was. I think it was 2018. It was the one year. The one year that we got bumped down to Division Two, um, so we get, we got placed in the sectional with, or the regional with, Rhinelander, Merrill, Mosinee, you know that Wasa East was in there. We got placed in that regional. We had beaten Merrill twice. They got the two seed. We got the five seed. So that's that's a coaches meeting, right? And you would hope with a computer seating, like that's not going to happen. Yeah. But that much separation, there's no way we could challenge that, right? We would have yeah. had to bump ahead of a couple other teams. Sure. So that's that type of thing you see often. Um, I was able to go into a lot of those coaches meetings because when we were in division one, we had the big rivers and coming. the meeting was always in Marshfield. So I would just go over there and I would sit in on it. And, you know, you hear some really weird, weird arguments. Oh, yeah. And there is, there was definite collusion amongst the coaches of conferences. Sure. Um, they feel that their conference is better and how that seating played out. It's anybody's guess. 
So, but with the computer seating, obviously the, the, the worst part of it is we know the criteria. We just don't know how it's weighted. Right. And that's what irks me. How should I schedule non-conference? Um, a great example of that is last year, we get placed against Brookfield East and Janesville Parker in the WBOI shootout. Those are two really good teams. Brookfield East had a major injury, right? The Schmainda kid yeah. didn't play at all. Yep. And by the time we played them, end of the year, he comes back and they make it all the way to sectionals at like an 11 seed. Yeah. But we get dinged because they were below 500. Yeah. It was a really good win for us, but we got dinged because of it. Right. Like that in the computer seating, as opposed to the coaches' vote, is it? It's a difference, the big difference. I want to know. There's a lot of really good small schools in our area that sure. get 20 wins on a regular basis. Would I be better off playing them and yeah. beating them as opposed right. to a a stronger D1, D2 school that might finish 500? Like yeah. I don't, I don't have an answer for that. Right, and it's well, and the thing you know the flip side of that is you're like cheating your team and your kids. Like you want to play a, you know, like a middle of the road D one team is going to be better right. than a small school. That's got 20 wins, whatever, but you're, what's a being big deal if you go throttle them, right? If it's, you know, if it's not helping you get better and your players get better. Correct. You know, in the, in the coaches, in the coaches meetings, we would always get dinged for playing schools in a division below us. Right. Yeah. Like Ryan, is a great example, old Wisconsin Valley rival. We still play them every year. Mm. Um, if we're in a division one seating, even if we beat a really good Rhinelander team, like there were years that Rhinelander was the one seed in their D2 sectional. If we beat them in a close game, we don't get any credit for it. Right. But if we happen to lose to them, now we're getting docked big time. Like that's the, oh, you guys lost to division two school. Yeah. Like there there's, I wish there was more clarity as to what the computer seating actually is. I, what I don't understand, and I, I brought this on up on podcast before, why are we, like, I'm just looking, I brought the sectional for, for this year because there's obviously changes. Why are sectionals coming out so so early? I like, have no idea. They did this I in, I think it was in June. They did. They do it every June. I don't know why that is. Um, and I don't know why, like, why there's a couple schools in the Fox Valley that just keep flip-flopping sections, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, it Kimberly was back to one. Kimberly, Oshkosh North, Kakana. Like they all seem to be just going back and forth between the two sectionals. I don't know why that is. Yeah. So yeah, I'm looking at it now. So Kimberly's back to the sectional one and Oshkosh North and West are back to sectional two. And Kakana's in sectional one. Yeah. yeah Kimberly and Kakana. It, it was those two. Like why is, I don't know who makes that decision. Yeah. And then you have like Arrowhead is in sectional two with Bayport and De Pere and Sure. I, like I, what's the rationale behind it? Yeah. That's the one thing I hate about. I think it probably everyone hates it about the WIA. There's no accountability or like no one has any. No one ever, you get you can't get any answers from anyone. Yeah, there's yeah, there's no clarity. Yeah, um, I think we there's some legitimate questions that I think could be answered, um, and people have been asking for. It. I don't. I I guess I don't know how that process works. Are you? Uh, I'm assuming you've already looked ahead at your section. Well, I mean, somewhat probably to, or maybe not. It's yeah, a, I mean, it's it's been pretty much the same the last five to six years here, um, you know, we, we are well aware that there's, there's some tremendous challenges in that sectional. And, um, you know, it, it, you could, you could drive yourself crazy thinking about it and thinking about potential matchups. So we really got to try to focus on, on what's next, you know, what's first for us, what's next for us. All right. Um, 
Next thing I always like to ask, what are your thoughts on the shot clock? I'm in favor of it. Okay, good. I would love to see it. Um, I know the the results of the survey are are pretty clear, right? Most of the Division One, Division Two schools, um, and maybe into Division Three, are in favor of it. Once you get down to the smaller schools, not so much. Um, I I know I, I think their concerns are valid to a certain point. I do think their concerns, you know, cost concerns. I don't think. Like if this ever does come into play, I'd have to think the WIA would help cover some of the initial installment and startup costs for that. Um, if you're looking at operators, uh, you know, I, I I go back and forth on that. I think that would a, a shot clock operator. I think would be a really good spot for some of these older officials that are, you know, they can't physically get up and down the floor oh, anymore. Yeah. So maybe like to still be involved in the game, you know, sure. that'd be a spot for them. Yep. But I do also think, I, I I think you could teach somebody that doesn't know anything about basketball to say, Hey, you know, you take a, the smartest kid in your school an, an AP scholar. And, and if they need volunteer hours, just tell them, you know, when the ball touches that little ring, yep. that little rim there and somebody else grabs it, hit the reset button. Right. Like I think that's because they don't have to worry about starting and stopping it because that's hooked up to the main clock. So right. once the main clock stops, Shot clock stops. I think right. there's, you could teach kids how to do that. Like you could, in terms of operators and things like that. I think the biggest thing that coaches are worried about is they're, they're worried about giving up control. Yeah. Like the, if they feel like they don't have control over their kids, like they, they can't, you know, possess the ball for more than 35 seconds at a time. Like they feel like they're losing control. Yeah. Um, I sympathize with that to a certain extent. Um, but I do think, I do think the idea of, the finite possession. You know, we've got 35 seconds to get a really good shot. We've got 35 seconds to defend. Yep. It ensures a consistent pace of play. Yeah. I think that's only good for basketball. I think yep. it's going to develop more individual skill, more individual shot making abilities that maybe kids didn't think they had. Um, I am absolutely in favor of it. We, I, I didn't, I don't think I had this on the agenda. I must have. Because it just came up, and Siebert and I talked about it. That going back to uh, quarters, I I don't know if the the is it is it just because we have to fall in line with NFHS? Yeah. Is that what it is yeah. to be a voting member in that? Yep. Would we go back to eight minutes or ten minutes? I think it's oh, it's eight. It's eight minute quarters. I think, I it think was, without Siebert a shot was talking, you'd, you'd miss you'd miss what is it now? It's eighteen minutes. 18 18 minutes. Minutes. So you'd miss, um, you'd miss four so minutes. Of four minutes. Time. Yeah. Um, I, I think if we go back to quarters without a shot clock, I think it's a step backwards. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about some of our games back in the 2010s and 2014s, you know, there's first quarter scores of six to four and eight to four. I, I, I think that's a step backwards. Um, if you do it with the shot clock, I think it might be a step in the right direction. Sure. Um, you know, I, I like the halves the way it's constructed now. Yeah, I agree. Um, but without that shot clock, I think we gotta we gotta keep it at halves. Yeah, I mean, even you know, there's there are times with halves, right? People you see it less. I mean, I've I've said this with Sieber too. It was I remember going to an Appleton East Appleton West game, and I think the end the score at the end of the first quarter was four to two. Yeah. And I'm like, why did I pay for this? Like, why am I here watching this garbage? Right. 
And that's why, and that's, you don't see that anymore with the halves. You just shot clock, no shot clock, you don't see it. And yeah, if you go back to quarters without a shot clock, I think that's going to happen again. I can remember games against DC Everest back in like 2011, 2012. DC Everest had a really good team with Coach Heckle. Uh, and we did too, you know, Kale Zyker, Luke Zyker, um, Elliot Ashback. Like we had some nice talented teams and it was always a battle with us too, but it was always, it was such a grind, you know, final scores of like 29, 25, where every basket you'd want to throw a parade because it, yeah, we scored on them, right? Yeah. We, we broke through their defense. We got something easy. I, I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. Um, and I think quarters, I don't want to say it, it's not going to go back to that completely, but I think, but- I think the quarter move is a step backwards. Yeah, there's a there's a better chance it's going to happen if you go to quarters. Yeah, yeah, I don't. That's that would be awful in my opinion. It would. Um, any rules? I've always asked. But I always love talking about officials. Any rules that you constantly see officials get wrong that just drive you nuts? No, I mean it doesn't have to be like a specific actual play, but I'm just like in general. I, I don't see any rules. I don't see that that get misinterpreted or, okay. or mis miscalled. You know, I, I'm I'm fortunate enough to be a, a football official. So I do a lot of varsity. We do varsity games every week and fortunate enough to be able to on a really good crew. We got a state championship game a couple of years ago in 2021. So as an official, I've I've become more sympathetic. It helps me as a coach. Um things to, you know, how to converse with officials and, and things like that. Um, you know, the, the one common thing that I see now in basketball because there's more ball screen action is if we're defending a ball screen and that and we get caught underneath it when that screener the first contact the screener comes set and then he screens and seals and just buries us as we're trying to get underneath it and it's not called a moving screen which is like i see that one more um but it's not a lot but that one comes to mind a little bit also that that rub cut where you pass it to the wing and immediately follow it and you try to run interference on the on-ball defender. Sure. And sometimes you kind of bump hips with the, with each other. I see that just because, you know, it's more of a one-on-one attacking ball screen. But other than that, I don't I don't see anything that that is concerning. Um, you know, the, the, I think basketball is the most difficult game in the world to officiate. Yeah. Players are getting so much better, so much more athletic. It's really, really tough. Yeah, um, because most of the stuff happens around the ball. It's easy for spectators and fans and coaches to pick out things that they perceive or miss. As a football ref, there's a lot more stuff going on. There's 22 people in a wider area, right? So it's, you know, it's easy to it's easier to not see things, miss a hold yeah. or, or miss illegal contact, whatever it is. Basketball, everything's so congested, like everything's right there around the ball. It's really tough to ref, really difficult to officiate. Are you, are you refing this weekend for football? Yes. We got a game uh, tomorrow night. Do you want to say what game or no? Uh, we're at Medford. We got out Alaska at Medford tomorrow. Okay. Okay. On turf. So with this rain, oh. um, it'll be nice for us. Yeah. Uh, have you ever been teed up high school game? I have, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I will say this. And I love, I love him to death. Our varsity assistant coach is Brian Fravert. His son, Adam, played at UW Oshkosh. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are D3 team. Adam, phenomenal player. Um, he was a late developer. If Adam develops in high school like he did after high school, he would have been playing D1 somewhere. I mean, he was he was the best player in the country 
in that run to the national title game. So his father, Brian is our assistant. Um, he's got three technicals and I'm, I only have two. Now, Brian is the most mild mannered, calm individual. His first technical was our first year during COVID where his son, Gavin was a junior at the time. Gavin was on that 22 team that played against uh, Kimberly there. Gavin, it was at Wausau East and, and Gavin wasn't playing well. And we took him out of the game and Gavin thought he got the raw end of a, of a call, even though he probably didn't. And Brian just said something to him on the bench. It wasn't loud. He said something like, yeah, it might've been a bad call, but you got to get over it. And the official happened to be right next to us, had rabbit ears and teed him up. And I didn't, and I was, so that was his first one. And I asked like, Brian, what'd you say? He goes, I didn't say anything. I was just talking to Gavin. And the, anyway, so that was his first one. The other two were both administrative. Later on that year, we, we couldn't find a starting lineup. Like every game we're trying to find a new five to start. Well, one of the games he had marked six starters in our, in our scorebook. Is he going to listen to this and be mad that you're telling these stories, by the way? He might be, but we always joke about them. Okay. But but it, it's, it's my fault because I was, I didn't know who to start. Okay. It was start this guy. But then five minutes later, he's like, no, I don't. I, I said, no, I don't like that. Start him instead. I probably switched it three times. So it's my fault. Sure. We had, you know, I'm going to blame it on him, of course. Right. And then what was the third one? The third one was, was we had a player that was injured for a long time. And we had brought up, like our book was full, but we had brought up or re, something, we had an injury where a player was coming back, a senior was coming back, and we happened to be leading comfortably. And I put this player in the game. Well, we didn't have him in the book. Because I don't think I told him, I don't think I told Coach Fravert that he was now eligible to play and we were going to play him. So it was it was a T for a comment made to a player, but the official had rabbit ears. It was six starters in the book, and it was playing a player that wasn't in the book. So I always tell him he's got the lead on me three to two. So, okay. So those are those two of those are yours. Are you counting or no? Or are you about to tell me two other stories on your tees? I've got two other stories. Okay, here you go. Uh, okay, my tees, yeah. We'll and, we'll end. And, we'll, we're almost to noon. We'll end on these two sure. stories. I wanted to end with a story, so I think we covered almost everything. So sure. Well, we yeah, didn't the, cover the, flopping, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I. The two stories that I have are tees. Are one of them was the the playoff game against Everest right before the night before we played Kimberly. It was the first game. And we had gotten down, Everest had gotten us down 16 to two right off the bat. And, and if not for Chase and Brooks Hinson, um, Chase Hinson set the school record for making eight threes in that game. And I think Brooks had four or five, but there was a possession early in the second half where we were still behind and Everest was playing zone. And our guy got it in the short corner and drove baseline and kicked it to the opposite corner. And the ref immediately like called three seconds on the on the attacker. And it was right in front of our bench. And I said, What'd you call? He goes, Oh, I called three seconds. I go, Oh, for Christ's sake. And he teed me up. Jeez. So, that was my first one. Um, and I like he said, I swore. Well, okay, you know, I shouldn't have said it. Like it's it's my fault, but I was I was I was mad. Anyway, um, and the second one was from this last year against Oakland Memorial. 
Uh, Memorial had gotten up on us and we were coming back, coming back and our Lemoyne drove the baseline or drove down the middle of the lane. And it was a, it was a block charge call that it was a, took away a three point play on us. Um, that would have closed the gap, maybe tied it up, but he called a charge and I didn't say anything. And I just took my hand and I slapped the ground right as he walked past to report the call. I just slapped the ground really hard, almost broke my hand. And I got teed up for slapping the ground for slapping that floor. So I, I go on, like everybody thinks I swear, like yeah. you know, my parents were really mad. Um, friends of the game that came to watch those games, um, you know, they had assumed that I swore and I got to tell people I do not swear. I make sure of it. I do not swear during games um, to get teed up, but I do have a couple. Emotions well, got the best of me. Do most officials, tee, if you swear, they'll tee you up no matter what? I would hope so. I would think so. I know if if I'm if I'm refing a football game and somebody swears at me in, in conversation, um, I know there's, there's gray area as to what is a curse word and what's not. Sure. But if they swear at me, if they say the magic word, I, I'd probably flag them. What if, so what if they swear, but it's not at you? They're just kind of under their breath, whatever, whatever, maybe. That's a, that's a side conversation. You know, that's, that's a stoppage in play. You go over and talk to him and you say, Hey coach, you know, can you watch your language here? Sometimes it's tough for me to tell whether you're talking to me or talking to a player. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, if a player swears on a sideline, I'll, I'll make sure to correct that. He goes, you know, guys, watch your language here. Yeah. yeah. Um, I try to do something like that. So you slap the ground with your hand and you get teed up. How do you refrain from not getting another tee immediately because of it? And what did you say um, to the official too? Like, yeah, it was, yeah, I, I, you know, that's, that's construed as, as probably showing up an official. So I can understand why they call it. Um, at that point, I think for me, I, I, I'm embarrassed. Like I, I gotta be better. So I think, you know, me, being embarrassed and tucking my tail and sitting on the bench now, you know, I'm on timeout. So I, you know, I gotta, I gotta watch what I say here. And and that was actually a big point in the game, uh, in that Memorial game too. We ended up losing by two. Um, I don't remember. I don't think they made both technical foul shots, um, but it was, it was kind of a big moment and certainly a lesson learned. Do you, I'm assuming the answer is yes to this, but you guys get different officials out in your area than we do here. Obviously you see the same ones over and over again. I'm assuming you know which officials you can't talk to or ride or say anything to and who are going to be like short leash. They, you know, tell you to sit down or whatever. I do. I do. Um, I, we don't have those, a lot of those types of officials. We don't, we don't see those. I, I try to keep a good relationship with them. A lot of them also officiate football. So I know a lot of them in the officiating world. Uh, I also know a lot of them because when we, when we host middle school, school tournaments or you know whatever it may be you, you try to reach out to them if if they aren't able to help you um you know do they have contacts do you know of somebody you know younger officials that are starting out so i try to maintain a good relationship with them but that being said you do know the ones that have a little bit of a short fuse or you know how to approach them um we're we're fortunate to have the officials that we've got because without them you know, yeah. we can't, we can't play games. I, I, I ride officials, uh, some of them for, I have so many different official stories. You coach so many years, you get so many stories and it's, it does suck because parents have kind of parents and, and volunteer coaches have ruined a lot of yes, they not have. wanting to do it because they're just in, I mean, I'm done with it. My, my kids are both out of high school now and I'm just like, 
it's getting worse. I, and I can't believe it's getting worse. Like I've seen so much and it continues. Just parents are just out of their minds. They are. And when you, when you think about the problem, it's, it seems like the less experienced athletes, the younger levels, the third graders, the fourth graders, the fifth graders, the less experienced and the, the sloppier the play because of that skill and experience, the worse the behavior is from the coaches and the fans. Yeah. Like that level is where you need to start as an official. Right. That third, fourth, fifth grade stuff, that's where you need to start. And they can't because parents and, and the behavior is so unreasonable and, and just, as you said, crazy. And, and, you know, some kids can't take that. They can't take the second guessing, the questioning, um, the raising of the voice, the everything right. directed at the negative energy directed at them. Yep. Some kids can't take that. And that's it. I'm done. Yeah. Um, we're trying, we're trying to get some of our kids in this area started at like a seventh or an eighth grade level. Um, and we try to pair them with an experienced official to yep. see if we can get some momentum going here, yeah. but it is a problem. It's definitely a problem. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine a kid wanting to take that kind of like abuse. People ask me yeah. all the time, like, why don't you ref? And I'm like, I would throw so many people out of gyms. It would yeah. be funny. Yeah. I wouldn't tolerate. I'd be like, get out of here. Just stop being an idiot. That's right. Yeah. All right. We're almost at noon here. Um, so we'll finish up. You can stay on after I stop recording here, but um, sure. thanks again for joining. Um, I appreciate it immensely. Maybe we'll have you on again at some, at some point after the season and, and, uh, and review the year. Hopefully at, hopefully we can get a little bit further. Did you say you lost the first, it was the first game you lost last year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, we're excited about where we're at as a program. Um, you know, we, we've gotten ourselves to a point where we're the, we have expectations on us now, yeah. which means, which means good things for our program. Um, yeah. I'm excited to watch you guys. I think, I think you guys can actually, you guys got some talent. I'm excited to see. We how do. It, how and our, our conference is getting better too. Stevens points going to have a really good team this year. Wausau okay. East is going to have a really good team. Everest will be good. Our, our conference is getting better. Uh, we've got some good challenges ahead of us. Good, good, good. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again for joining. Thanks everyone for listening. This has been over and back.